I think our teams bring in not only everything you said, which are all the tools, but they bring in their relationships and their personalities and their anxieties. So if we don't intentionally create the culture, then a culture gets created that we may or may not want. Welcome to Tractionville, the podcast for companies running on EOS. I'm your host, Chris White, along with... Benj Miller. And today, we have a very special guest in Julia Langrayer, who is the first EOS implementer in the UK. Julia, welcome to Tractionville. Thank you very much, Chris and Benj. So being the first, right, literally on an island, and all by yourself, thousands of miles away from Detroit, our home base for EOS Worldwide. Julia, what was it like bringing EOS to the UK where they probably hadn't heard about it? What was that like? Well, I, I tackled the challenge very enthusiastically. So I was very um, positive and I thought I'm the person to build both the knowledge and introduce it because I brought previously in my business, I brought a concept from the United States to the UK and customized it for the culture here in the United Kingdom. And so I was very enthusiastic and I was also very um, ambitious. And I thought that I could actually grow my, the number of teams I was working with much quicker than I actually did. So in the beginning, it was a little more challenging than I had anticipated, but it's been five years now, and I've loved every step of the way. How many, so five years, how many clients have you worked with now? So I've worked with 45 different clients wow. over the last five years, and it was a much slower take-up. It took me longer to get my first few clients than I anticipated um, in 2015. I trained in August 2014. And 15 was slower than I anticipated, but then from then on, 16, 17, 18, it's, it's, been, it's been much at a quicker pace. So what was your strategy when you started out? Where, like for me in Florida, I went around and just talked to pretty much anybody that would listen. What was your approach? So I had a very similar approach to yours, Chris. Um, I love to do public speaking. I love to do talks. And one of the first things I did, because I had entrepreneurs organization connections here, was I was very careful about the non-solicitation policy. So I was offering to do 90-minute um, meetings just really kind of as a favor to get, for me to get practice. Mm -hmm. But the other thing I did was I applied to be a Vistage uh, speaker. And I thought that would go much quicker. And it took me about 14 months to get approved with them. So that was also another thing that, again, I just didn't anticipate would take so long. I think a lot of implementers, you know, and especially the ones that I'm coaching now, or, you know, I'll get phone calls uh, of people who just joined us and they're like, okay, what should I do? <laughs> and I always tell them, yeah. get out there and talk, find our target market in your area. It's like dropping a little pebble in a lake, right? And you'll get this ripple effect, but you got to start locally and, 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 and use the peer groups, Vistage, EO, YPO. I mean, I literally just Googled all the peer groups and cold called them and, uh, and that worked out well and it worked out for you as well. Julia, one of the things that was super intriguing when we were talking before we started recording is you dropped a word, one thought, 
and how this was becoming a, a motto theme, something you were teaching, something you were learning. Tell us what that is. So about six years ago, seven years ago, I was introduced to what's called principles. And I have a group of friends that were kind of looking at it and taking some courses on it and reading some books on it. And it started actually in Canada um, in, on the West Coast, but it's now kind of spread globally. And it's this concept of understanding how we experience our life moment to moment and it, this understanding of how our thinking actually informs us of our experience. So it's a little bit, um, people are like, yeah, that makes sense. But we thoughts and feelings are connected and we have to have a thought about something to experience it is kind of the basics of it. That's interesting. So how, how does that translate into your everyday world and, and create value? So my personality, I'll say, was similar to some of A-types, where I was this ambitious entrepreneur. I had um, built and exited a business here in the United Kingdom. And I was always kind of thinking and worrying about lots of things. And so my mind was very full of lots of thoughts. And when I started looking at these principles, they're called the three principles, I realized that if I can kind of slow down my head, my thinking, and if I get really calm, that's when like we get our inspiration. That's when things come to us. That's when we can hear kind of our true wisdom. And as I kind of slowed my thinking down, I got more efficient, more effective, less anxiety, um, more productive. And so it's had lots of impact in many areas of my life, but I procrastinate less. I, um, it's easier for me to prioritize and do the most important things. And, um, I think I just have a better quality of life because of this understanding that I now have. Sounds like it's in line with the, the mindfulness thinking and approach. And now we have a lot of apps that are gaining a lot of popularity around that. As you go in with executive teams, is this something that you're teaching them how to do? I think I'm doing it in my sessions, and I bet Chris would probably say when we go in with a calm head or a calm mind and we're really confident and kind of in our wisdom, we deliver and facilitate better for the teams because we're managing the energy in the room. Mm. We're helping them to get clear and calm and get clarity and get aligned. And so I think I use those techniques in my sessions, and I think that makes me a better EOS implementer, but then also just really a better, a better coach. Yeah, I, you know, I start off every day the same. Um, I get up at five and the first thing I do is I meditate for about 15 minutes. And it's really, it's, there's not any like specific or directional thought. It's just about calming my mind, kind of like what you were talking about, calming my mind, letting, letting thoughts and ideas kind of come in and go back out. And along with that, you know, you do some breathing techniques. And and I find that really, you know, I do that every day. I, technically, I do it six out of seven days. Uh, but I certainly, you know, every session day, um, I do it. And I do find that 
when you come into that session room, you know, you're walking into their world in a way, right? Because they're bringing their issues list and they're bringing, uh, you know, their rock completion rate and their two. So there's a little bit of some anxiety and some stress. And, and we have to be that calming effect where we can take them through the proven process and address all of these things in a way where we're, we're intentional, we're deliberate, we're strong, right? You got to be strong because sometimes, you know, we might have to have that tough discussion and, and enter the danger. And so I really like uh, what you're saying, because in a way I kind of practice that just so, you know, that I can have a calm mind. And, and then that bleeds out into the rest of your into the rest of your life, like you were saying, I think it just makes me a better person overall. And I found it to be really helpful and healthy, quite frankly. Yeah. And Chris, I completely agree. I have seen it improve my relationships, mm. um, both with my family and with my siblings, um, and also my personal relationships mm -hmm. um, and my romantic relationship. But I think our teams bring in not only everything you said, which are all the tools, but they bring in their relationships and their personalities right. and their anxieties and their and their and their heads are filled up and kind of full of all their thinking. And so this these this principle is called three principles. And I and I studied through um, one thought foundations program. Mm. And it's just I really found it to be really, really helpful and useful. And, and the more I look into it, the more I see and the more I understand um, and I, too, am a meditator. I've, I'm a Vedic or transcendental meditator. Mm -hmm. I try to meditate twice a day, and I've been doing that for about seven years as well. And this just helped me because meditation helps us to calm our nervous system down. And I think this just helps me to get what, you know, I would call a clear head. Yeah. And then I just feel like I do better work and can help people better still having all my, you know, studies and things. Yeah. All right. So you're not going to get out of this conversation without sharing the three principles. <laughs> Okay, so the three principles are mind, universal mind, consciousness, universal consciousness, and thought, universal thought. And we create our conscious consciousness moment by moment through the thinking that we have. So there's, if you Google it, you can find more, but one of the best known um, writers is a guy named Michael Neal. And he wrote um, The Inside Out Revolution. And the studies are by a guy named Sid Banks. So you can just Google SidBanks.com. So if you want to, if, if your listeners want to see or read them more. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's awesome. That's... We'll put that in the show notes. Do you need help hiring your next superstar? Have you ever hired someone to learn that they don't align with your culture and core values? Vision Spark is the go to resource for companies running on EOS. Their team of search professionals are experts in people. VisionSpark's proprietary process ensures that you hire the right person for long-term cultural fit and bottom-line growth. Let VisionSpark strengthen the people component of your business. VisionSpark, right search, right team, right seats. You can visit VisionSpark at visionsparksearch.com. So talk to us now what we talked uh, uh, prior to the podcast, and I think our listeners are going to be intrigued about um, a couple things that you're doing. And and the first one is uh, I'd love for you to share with us uh, your your thoughts around the cultural assets. So I, I love EOS 
because it organizes all the energy in the in the room and in the business. But one of the components that I think I might favor, and I know we shouldn't favor any of them, is the people component. Yeah. And one of the things I have the opportunity to do with a company called Dent.Global, um, who was in the peer group. He was, he was in my forum previously with Entrepreneurs Organization, and he's, he's uh, written an author of like four books. And I um, work with him to deliver an eight-hour course on cultural assets. Um, with his, his, his companies he works with. And I really find it fascinating because I think that the culture we create, um, and, and Chris, you'll know this saying, nature abhors a vacuum. Mm-hmm. So if we don't intentionally create the culture, then a culture gets created that we may or may not want. And so I love helping teams to see um, what other businesses have done. And I have a, a our workshop we do that talks about how you onboard team members because we have to do that with the process how you offboard team members and then how you're really going to be able to communicate in visual ways and also in more um, activity ways what that vision that business is and what the the look and the feel of it is when you walk into offices and how they what they put on their walls and when they bake cookies and if they have kids or dogs or any of those kind of things that come to visit and so i've just had a lot of fun collecting all these great um, ideas from all these wonderful entrepreneurs and putting it into one place to share with other business owners so they can see what's possible. Are there two or three things from that that you could share with our audience that a lot of companies just miss opportunities or do totally wrong? Well, one of the things that we um, use a lot in our process is um, values. And I think that EOS has a simple, easy way to discover those because they're already there. But then the part I really like is once they're discovered and we're using our core values speech, we're perpetuating them, it's how you make those come alive. And so that's what I like to kind of almost challenge my teams with is what's going to fit your culture, what's going to match for you, and how do you make those come alive beyond words on a paper? And so I think that's really my, my biggest piece. And then it's, you know, how are you going to connect the dots or connect everyone? And what's, you know, do you have a lunchroom where you eat together? Do you, do you make lunch? What's your social activities? Because I always say that people that break bread together bond better and then can also work together because they know and understand each other better. So I think some of those aspects are quite important when you're thinking about how you're going to develop a culture as businesses grow. Mm. Yeah, that's good. I like that analogy because, you know, we're, my family is all from Ireland and my wife and her family are from Italy and we all like to eat. We love getting my, I mean, we get around the table, we get everybody. And um, I think it's kind of a lost thing maybe here in the States because everybody's so busy and and uh, they don't take the time, you know, to really sit down and enjoy a, a couple hour meal together where there's no technology, right? No cell phones going off. We're mm-hmm. actually communicating belly to belly, eye to eye. And that does create a much stronger, stronger bond. I know it does in our family and my wife's family for sure. Julia, in your past, you were, you were, seemed like you were either trained or somehow gained some vast knowledge and skill in negotiation. What, what could you teach our audience? Cause most of our audience, you know, became entrepreneurs, became integrators. They got there somehow, but, uh, there was no class in high school or college on negotiation for most <laughs> of us. So what, what pointers can you give our audience and how to negotiate well? 
Great, great question. And I used to negotiate with very big landlords and on behalf of very big landlords and then with smaller businesses. So I was kind of the intermediary. And over the years, I picked up some techniques that I use, and I'm just going to give you a couple of them, one obvious and maybe a couple not so obvious. Great. So the first one that I coach all my teams on is if you don't ask, the answer is already no. So even if you expect to get a no, ask it and then be quiet because you never know what the person's going to say. Because we sometimes think we can read people's minds or we start thinking about what we think it's going to be and we talk ourselves out of things. Mm. Back to that, um, those three principles and that one thought. So just confidently and without any kind of tone, ask for what you're think what you're looking for. And sometimes you might be surprised because they're on the same page with you. Another one that might not be that might be a little less obvious is I always try to hold something back that's of value to the person I'm negotiating with, but doesn't cost me very much. So it's an easy thing for me able to offer in order to sweeten the deal or be able to do to give them something that they that they want. So I'm always trying to put myself in their shoes to say what's important to them, what's going to be valuable to them, what do they want, and almost make a list of those things so I have those. That's not going to be a big thing for me to give away. And if I have some of those on a list, that also helps me then when I go to the close, I have something last that I can still offer to get people across the line. So I love negotiations. The whole win-win thing has been a little overused, but Mm. putting yourself in the other person's shoes and really understanding their perspective, I think is a really valuable thing to do when you're negotiating at a table together. Do you take the good cop approach or the bad cop approach? You know, I think good cop, bad cop works. And I did that with my CFO, my, um, so my head of finance. Um, but I, I always try to have the higher authority. Right. So, well, I'll have to go back and check with my board on that, which buys me some time. Um, so I use both of the techniques whenever I, I can and need to. But yeah, that's another really good one. I think just any basic books on negotiation, whether it comes to our suppliers, or our customers, um, we really need to be able to have that because networking and negotiation are just tools that you have to be able to have, you know, all the time working in your business. That's really good. Do you have a success story that you could share uh, with our audience with Tractionville that's happened in the last year or two that's just a great classic example of what EOS can do in a business? So I do have one, and my client's called The Light, And I think they're a bit of an anomaly in many ways. And that's why I thought that I might share their their story with you a little bit. First of all, um, we always say our target market for um, EOS is 10 to 250 employees. And this business was actually a little on the small side. They only had four, four or five employees and some contractors. And I always kind of, again, thinking, oh, they're going to be too small for the session fee that I have. But this company said, nope, we've read the books, we've done our research, we want to work with you. And I couldn't start them until the following year, and it was about August or September. I couldn't start them for four or five months. And they said, that's okay, we'll wait, we'll start in January with you. So from the beginning, I thought, wow, this is, this is a founder who really knows what he wants, but he's also really done his research. And we've been working together now for six and a half months, so just in the first year of the process. And we've just come up to their financial year end because one of the other interesting things in Europe and especially the UK is 
companies can choose their, their year-end. So our financial year-end in the UK is April to April. But some of my companies have May to June or end in 30th of July. So it's very interesting. We don't have kind of an annual season over here. And this company just had their year in 31st of August. And so we were just redoing some of their strategic, their big picture planning for their one year and their three year. And they just in six and a half months have been able to set a bigger vision because of the work that we've been doing together, where their one year plan revenue is going to be their three year picture profit. So it's just a phenomenal story having this business that's turning over almost only about 400,000 pounds here in the UK is going to more than double in a year and then really be able to do their three years, their one year in three years in revenue. That's amazing. What, what was the catalyst? Was there a certain tool that created that? You know, in the US, we're always looking for that breakthrough, right? Break through the ceiling. What was it that allowed them to break through? I really think that they needed to get clarity and roles and responsibilities. And I think that was really helpful. But I think also just the rocks and breaking them down and the execution of those rocks have really helped them to get to the point where they can actually see that bigger vision. And one of the things we did with this company was because they had, they needed concentrated time to work on to do's and actions. Um, I kind of taught them and had them do sprints and sprinting. Mm -hmm. And we would set up hour long sprints where they would work for 15 minutes and take a 10 minute break because they just needed to get stuff done. Um, and so that's been a really helpful technique for them. The other thing that's quite interesting for those listening is they're also my number one referrer. They have had such a great impact from EOS and from the facilitation and the session days that they're out there. They've referred me, I think, you know, five or six companies. One of them's already become a client, and I've got one this week and another one next week for two more um, ninety-minute sessions. So he is really a big advocate of mm. EOS because it's changing his business so much. You know, I'm curious because are are you? Forgive me, I should know this. Are you based in London? Yes, I'm based in central London, and I'm so central I'm about my flat is about 22 steps from Oxford Street, and my office is just off Tottenham Court Road. So I am super central. I'm in what we call W1, which is the West End, not the city, but where kind of the heart of all the shopping and restaurants sure. are. And now, are you, do you have a session room? Do your clients come to you, or are you traveling? Great question. My clients come to me and I have a session room. I, I office out of two co-working spaces because there's such a big trend right now. Mm. I'm actually speaking at a co-working uh, conference tomorrow as one of the panelists on what the future of office is going to look like. And I'm uh, in my co-working space now where I have a designated office. And then I use a co-working space just a block away from me where I have this amazing session room, Chris. Oh. It's got three big windows. It's got a four by eight whiteboard. It's got flip charts and it's got uh, a fresh catering. So I've got a hot lunch that I get to serve my teams. And so they come to me for all their focus days and vision building and quarterlies. And then, of course, we do the annual wherever they, they want to go. So we get some green, leafy areas, usually some, somewhere outside London. Right. Julia, one of the things about the story of the light that is intriguing me is at, at their size, if you're sitting in a senior leadership team, there's a good chance that you're 
wearing another hat and actually performing a, some role within the company that is not purely managerial, which makes it even harder to focus on rocks to work on the business because you have a job in the business. Was that the case with Delight? And how did they break out of that to be, you're talking about these sprints, but you know, for them to get that far with their rocks, how did they manage that? Well, one of the things that I think is interesting as an EOS facilitator is that we don't advise businesses and we don't tell them where they're going. We help them to create their own vision and then help to manage the energy and getting them there. And one of the things I found with companies at this size is that I not only am their facilitator, but I become part of their leadership team as somebody that sits around their table and helps them to in their decision making. And in the UK, we have this um, title called NED, non-executive director. And there are paid positions that people set on boards to be um, supporters and advisors. And I really feel like for me, I kind of have an NED role with this team, as well as I step in and kind of offer my experience when it's appropriate of what I did in my business, because sometimes they need some new ideas in order to really make sure that they're, they're, they're executing and getting that next step. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wear a couple of different hats, but I think in this small business, um, it was helpful for me to do a little bit more than just facilitate for them. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what you were looking for, Benji? A little bit. It's really, I'm I'm wondering how this team managed the tension between having, I assume they all had roles down in the organization. Is that true? True, but there was a lot of crossover. People didn't know what they were, there was crossover and, um, and they couldn't get clear on really what their most important thing was. Like almost everything was important. So I think that accountability chart, once we defined those roles and helped them with their priorities, that helps them to get out of kind of the weeds and the tall grass, as we say, yeah. and really get focused so they can know what was most important. That's good. Did, did they struggle with less is more? Like, like you know, creating this and this environment or this culture of discipline and accountability, right? And, and I know in my practice, when you start with a new client, and everything about EOS is simplify, simplify, simplify. Less is more. And when you get into rock setting, of course, you know, there's 50 priorities they throw up on the wall and we want to get them to three to six. Did, did they, you know, they got the clarity around roles and responsibilities in the accountability chart. Now, when you started taking them through rock setting, I'm curious, were they like normal in that they wanted a ton of rocks or did they struggle with getting down to, to less than six? So they were okay with that. I'll give you a little more detail on them. They are a tech support company and they really, he has a big vision and they were in what I would call overwhelmed. So they just didn't know how to prioritize all the things they had. So it's in the same light. I think you're talking about uh, Chris Mm -hmm. and they actually are using a system in America called true method. And I think putting processes and steps in, um, and the other thing they've done is they've outsourced their help desk, so it's completely scalable with them. Mm-hmm. And so they've done some really interesting things about how they've resourced themselves and using this proven system in their sector, and then using EOS to run the run the business on. Yeah. I, I just had a thought. You know, they they get clarity around the accountability chart, right? 
And then, um, you know, you talk about the delegation of workload, uh, whether it's internal or external to another provider, you know, that frees up capacity, right? And when they get a little bit of that freedom of capacity, they realize, okay, this less is more can work. And we don't need to just try to do everything. We just get laser focused, narrow it down to those three to six top priorities so it takes the pressure off. Well, Julia, this has been fantastic. I mean, a lot of great nuggets here. Um, We like to close out every podcast asking our guests a couple questions. So uh, the first question is, when you're in session with a client, What's your superpower? When I'm in a session with a client, what's my superpower? I think my superpower would be to ask challenging questions that are thought-provoking so mm-hmm. that they're thinking about other options than just the option that's obvious. Yeah. Yeah, right, because, you know, that sometimes we, we have to do that. We have to sort of peel the onion back or maybe – enter the danger a little bit and get them to have those conversations. Um, okay. Last question. It's four fifty-five on a Friday afternoon and you're wrapping up your work week. How do you know, how do you measure that you had a good week with your clients? What are you looking for at the end of the week? Well, one of the things I really pride myself on having is really good personal relationships with all of them. And um, I love, I might be unique in this, but I love doing my check-in calls. So Mm. I love getting updates and just checking in with my teams and seeing how they're going. And when I finished the the week, and ours is usually a nine to six day here, so about six o'clock on a Friday, and I know that I've talked to some of my clients and they're all aligned and making, you know, feel like they're making progress and feel like they're getting traction, then I know that I've had a good week. Julia, how can our audience find you if they want more from you or to connect with you? Hopefully we've got some listeners in the UK that are ready to, to make your doorbell ring. How can they find you? The best place to look is at boldclarity.com. I've just relaunched my website last week. So it's boldclarity.com and I've got resources and videos and all kinds of things on there. And I'd love for them to take a look, um, send us a note. And also I've got a newsletter that I send out. So I'd love a little bit of inspiration about once a month. Tractionville. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you rate us subscribe? And as always share with a friend, we would love to also hear your ideas. You can share them with us at TractionvillePodcast.com. And we release an episode every Tuesday. So we'll see you next week for Tractionville Tuesday. Tractionville.